0: So we look to our Lord in prayer. So, Father, what we are doing now is we, in many cases, are pausing in the rhythm of our lives to celebrate the independence of this nation. When the Declaration of Independence was penned and approved by the Second Continental Congress, what we're asking is that we. Look beyond the national to the sovereign God of this universe, the one who sent Jesus into this world to die for our sins. We want to see how all this fits together and why you would refer to yourself as Elohim in these verses and why the threefold emphasis upon the idea of the blessing. So, Father, in these minutes to come, we're praying that you would warm these hearts, that you would gauge these minds of ours, that you would shape these wills. For Father, we've come here again to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this idea of the blessing how would this choir master as you see in the inscription allow for this to unfold musically for the nation to process september 12th of 2001 the day after 9-11 and what is interesting is the unifying effect where it seems as though a tragedy has so encompassed the soul of a nation that it has exposed the natural desire of people to want to be able to experience the blessing that people of both the Democratic and Republican parties, those on the left and those on the right, would come together some holding hands, political opponents in many cases, but finding a common theme and the need to experience the blessing. How are we to understand this? What do we do with this? That's what I want to think with you this morning, as we begin to unpack these seven verses, where not once, not twice, three times, the Hebrew word for bless is used in these verses. And we're going to want to explore the significance and the meaning of that as we relate it to modern day life. Now, with the Fourth of July coming, and we're pondering the historical event of 1776 and the Second Continental Congress that gathered together to be able to pen primarily the work of Thomas Jefferson at this point and his skill in writing the Declaration of Independence, there are three stanzas I want to draw out for us that I think capture the musical compositions found here. Number one, as we celebrate the blessings of this nation, I want you to join with me, and first of all, consider the scope and the source here, in this case, the source of our blessings, because it begins not with, may government be gracious to us, but rather, may God, be gracious to us. Now, he begins with G-O-D, God. Not capital L-O-A-D at this point, which is the personal covenantal name for God, but rather Elohim, brought into the English, G-O-D as the name for God. Why? In the opening chapters of Genesis, where it speaks of God creating the heavens and the earth and taking us through the days of the creation historical experience, the word that was used to describe the creator of this universe was Elohim, G-O-D. But when you reach the point where humanity is to be created, He is not merely called Elohim, he is called Yahweh Elohim. He is called Lord God. So why then does this psalmist begin with Elohim? This psalmist is looking beyond Israel at this point with regard to the whole matter of how can I experience the blessing? Whether it be personal, national, or universal. As members of Congress on September 12th of 2001, saying God bless America, whether they had processed this or not, they had gone to the source of the blessing by beginning with Elohim. God bless America. And what is fascinating to me is that that musical composition, God Bless America, was written by a Jew. Because in 1918, Irving Berlin, an Ashkenazi Jew, family made their way to New York, as they settled down in the Brooklyn area and beyond, where a major Jewish community can be found to this very day, in fact, he wanted to make a statement as World War I was beginning to unfold. And so with his understanding of Torah, of the Old Testament, he penned those words that the Congress of that time of 2001 just sang. What is interesting is that in 1938, he revised the lyrics ever so slightly because World War II was breaking out and he had his eye upon all of his Jewish relatives still back in Europe as Hitler's forces were marching forward, pondering the role of the United States in the midst of all this. He brings the Elohim into his musical composition and now the psalmist, likewise, brings the Elohim theme into your life experience. And so as Congress, so that September 12th day, 2001, began with God bless America, what we find now the psalmist doing is challenging us. May God, he begins with God, Elohim, not Yahweh, God which deals with the idea of the creator God. Creator, which means then he is speaking at this point to people beyond Israel, people such as in the United States of America, which forces you and forces me that just as God brilliantly in Genesis 1 and 2 moved us from Elohim to Yahweh Elohim, so likewise, even on the 4th of July celebrations, we take into account the idea that there is a design of this universe, not only when you consider the gravitational forces and everything held in order, but also consider the complexities of the human body, even complexities such as the use of the hand, the significance of an index finger, And you look at the Genesis account, and you see that behind this design stands a designer. What he wants to do then is to take people who are becoming conscious of the design, the Elohim principle, and lead them to the Yahweh Elohim principle, that this designer is personal, that you can know him. Through Jesus Christ Savior and Lord notice furthermore he goes on to say may God be gracious to us be gracious to us in your Bible there are two forms major forms of grace there is what is known as first of all common grace whereas Matthew 5 45 would remind us well In essence the rain falls on the just and the unjust in other words we don't deserve that Um, but he replenishes he restores he refreshes unbeliever and believer alike with the rains but not only is there a common grace there is also what's known as special grace where at the cross of Jesus Christ God the Father had sent God the Son into this world to die in our place for our sins and bring the blessing while Jesus Christ took the curse. God provides the blessing in this act of grace so that you and I would not have to experience the curse, but rather Jesus Christ did for us. Now you get to this word, bless. And it's the Hebrew word, berak. And it carries with it a primary meaning to convey a gift, a significant gift, by a very powerful word or utterance, a gift provided to an individual, a group, or a nation. Now, the question is, where does that come from? I want you to see two passages of scripture that serve as what we might call the foundational teaching for this psalm we're considering. And the first is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Where God had said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. Notice that he says with regard to the themes of the hour politically in this land, he will make Abraham's seed great. He will make Abraham's seed a great nation. So we have to understand great has to be tied to grace. I will make you, it is God who is the source here, you a great nation. Now notice the number of times the word bless appears. I will bless you, he is saying to Abraham. Make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. But then he moves from the very personal, and he expands it to the generational. And I will bless those who bless you, and with him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. At this point, then, what God is doing is he's explaining where the blessing comes from, God. But furthermore, he is also communicating the channel, the conduit, the river of blessing, and it is Israel that they will be a blessing to the nations, that ultimately Messiah will come from these people, so that you nor I would have to experience the curse, but rather we would be able to experience the blessing. Now the second passage, which is foundational to this, was what was known as the Aaronic benediction, found in Numbers chapter 6. And in verse 24, after the Lord Yahweh had spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord, in other words, Yahweh. I'll do it in Hebrew. Yahweh bless you. Yahweh barak you, keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the psalmist in his opening verse is using that Numbers passage in 6 as his foundational teaching to be able to talk about the blessing and how it's to be experienced, personal illustration. And I'm involved as a church planter in our early days of pastoral ministry, and the church is growing fast. And one of the couples that had come to saving faith in Christ, well, she's Jewish. Her husband came to know the Lord because I use sports illustrations every so often. And that seemed to be the hook upon which he could hang his hat, and he he could relate to that kind of stuff. And so sports became the window by which he was starting to understand, through the use of illustrations, the truths that were found in God's Word. Well, they had just purchased a house, and she wanted a house blessing. And so she came up to me and said, Gary, um, you ever done a house blessing? I said, you're going to have to tell me about this one. She said, it's Jewish, Jewish tradition. Would you be willing to come as our family, extended family, gathers together and pray the blessing upon the house? And I said, be honored to. She said, now you do it with your arms raised, Gary. I said, I can do that. I'm doing it right now. Rotator cuff's doing okay this morning. And she said, furthermore, you need to be able to recite it from memory. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 25, 26. I said, well, I can do that. And she said, I want you to do it in Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. I'm missing medical school already. And then she adds, oh, by the way, some of my relatives are rabbis. <laughs> this was highly significant, you see to the Jewish population because they understood that the blessing was made up of being placed upon the family units of the nation, and the belief within the family units would impact the nation as a whole. Ponder the significance of that if you're a parent. Ponder the significance of that even as you purchase a house. And you're asking God's blessing that this not merely a matter of living in a house, This is a matter of blessing upon a home. Now, the Jew understood this. And so you tie together now grace and blessing. And you ponder why then God speaks of Abram and his descendants as being not only recipients of, but conduits, channels of the blessing, until you realize that he was building off of the family units to impact through Israel the peoples of the nations of this world. So now you're back to the psalmist. And now with Numbers 6, 24 through 26 lurking in your mind, you're pondering the significance of may God be gracious to us, God's unmerited favor, and bless us, give us the barack, the arms lifted, the potent wording, and then adds these words, and make his face to shine upon us. The word shine was the very word that was used to describe the time in which Moses moved up into Mount Sinai and received the moral law from God. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, would serve as the universal foundation for both civil and, as well as ceremonial laws, the moral law upon which constitutions would be built, the law upon which judiciaries would have to ponder that there is a law above the law of their lands. And so now when he came down, Moses, from the Mount Sinai experience, his face shone. Now in the Hebrew, the idea of the one whose face shines is such that it captures our attention because it speaks of the idea of the presence of God within our midst. So much so that that Solomon himself would be able to argue for this, press this, push this, when he wanted his people to seek God put them him first as they came before him seeking the blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face like the Mount Sinai experienced with moral law being given for people now to recognize the law above the law within their land as a Moses would descend into the region below. He offers this musical word Selah. Now, for you musicians, when you reach a particular measure where there is a pause, the pause in that measure is in Hebrew, Selah. That's your selah. It brings a sense of a dramatic effect into the musical score. Now, what God wants you to do at this point is we're moving into Independence Day celebrations is to allow this morning to be your Selah. You pause and you ponder the significance of all that's occurring. And why is it that the day after 9-11, people of various parties would come together and find unison in seeking Elohim? God bless America. And why would God sovereignly choose God bless America be pen from the lips, the mind, the heart, the soul of a Jew, Irving Berlin. After 9-11, I also pondered what Lee Greenwood put together. Previous to it all, but brought it back to force one day, singing at Yankee Stadium. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I had worked for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife, I thank my lucky stars, I wish I could reword that for him, to be living here today, because the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. May God be gracious to us, the psalmist writes, and bless us, Bayrak. And now you pull together the Genesis 12, 2 and 3 in particularities, and the five usage there of the bless concept, where God is the source of the blessing, and the Israelites, the Jews at this point, were going to be the channel of the blessing, and you ponder, and through whom do the Jews... From whom did Messiah come? Answer, the Jews, of course. I already stated that for you. And you hit your say button. And you're reflecting upon this. And what is it within the heart of people where they are craving and longing for the blessing? Have you ever pondered the story of Jacob and Esau? They were conflicted. What do they have in common? Not only were they twins, they both had a longing for the blessing, the Beak. Jacob, second in line, and deceives his father by appearing as Esau. He wants the blessing. He gets the blessing and leaves. Esau appears on this scene, and he seeks the blessing. And his father now realizes that he has been deceived but has already given a blessing. He will give what we might call a secondary blessing, a blessing nonetheless. But what did humanity have in common at that point within the microcosm of that household setting? The longing for the blessing. Connect the dots to 9 11 and the next day, 9 12 of 2001, as people from. Even opposing parties gathered together, some holding hands and singing in unison. What did they share in common? A longing for the Barak, the blessing. May Elohim be gracious to us, bless us, make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Selah at that point. Now you're thinking about the face that shone now you go on. You're up to verse 2. That your way, not our way, that your way be known on earth. Your way. It is something singular, it is something definitive, it's not pluralistic, it's not a multiple option, it is a singular matter ties directly into Jesus saying I am the way the truth the life no one comes to the Father but through me and God brings the blessing through that Jew even to America when God's word is being communicated that your way may be known on earth you see that word known. well in 1st John we've been working through 1st John since January That word known is critical because it carries with the idea not merely of informational knowledge, but rather, and more so, personal relationship. God is knowable. Pharaoh would have to grapple with this because here's Israelites, here are Israelites within the land, the nation of Egypt, when Moses now says, For This time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in the earth. God needs courageous people to be able to speak of the incomparable, exclusive God who's made known his way to the people's that your way, in verse 2, may be known. He is knowable. His way is knowable on earth. And you begin to think about, then, even the evangelistic opportunities that are available to us in these coming days. Listen to this. A traveling man came into a hotel years and years ago to secure a room for the night. Upon being informed that every room in the building had been taken, he was naturally perturbed, until a gentleman standing nearby kindly offered to share his room with him, and the offer was thankfully accepted. Upon retiring, this gentleman knelt and prayed, tenderly mentioning his guest for the night in his prayer. In the morning, his host informed him that it was his custom to read a portion of God's word and pray before taking up his responsibilities of the day. The effect upon the man was moving. A strange feeling came over him. Something had been working in his heart all that night. When gently pressed by this stranger to accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, his resistance went down in a heap. He did, and a soul had been won for Christ. But who was this ambassador for Jesus who so strikingly resembled a member of President Wilson's cabinet? Well, when business cards were exchanged before leaving, to the guest's amazement, he read William Jennings Bryan, Secretary of State, and realized that the Secretary of the State had just led him to Jesus. And the blessing was found in that room. You have an opportunity to bring the blessing even into family and social gatherings in the hours and days to come. So now, having done that, having said that, having emphasized that, he goes on to say, your saving power, in verse 2, among all nations. And now you begin to make some more connections for people. Because let's say you take some friends to Washington, D.C., And you've made arrangements to be able to sit in on a Supreme Court hearing. And so you're in the setting where all of a sudden the court's marshal appears. And you're taken aback by how the proceedings begin. Because each day it begins with this proclamation, quote, God save the United States and this honorable court. Unquote. And hanging within that region is the picture of Moses and the Ten Commandments. And you're pondering the moral law, the law above the law, and how the civil realm is to be subservient to the supernatural sovereign God who has reign over this realm, you see. And now you're beginning to fit things together. And you're saying to yourself, okay, the source of blessing is God, and God has sovereignly chosen the Jewish people to be the channel, the conduit of blessing to the peoples. But you're saying, verses 1 through 3, they sound so, so Jewish. And I'm a Gentile. I've done my 23andMe. me. couldn't find any Ashkenazi Jew in me, you see, that kind of thing. What do I do? Well, you keep going. Because if verses 1 through 3 deal with the source of our blessings. Then second of all, verses 4 and 5 deals with the scope of our blessings. And you read on. And now he goes on to say, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So you ponder the songs of the nations, such as America the beautiful, God shed his grace on thee. And crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. And now you're connecting grace to blessing. Like we found in verse 1. God be gracious to us and bless us. So now the nations, in verse 4 are glad and they sing for joy like Nehemiah and Ezra had the singers on the, on the walls of the rebuilt city of Jerusalem and as they sang for joy the populations outside the city walls were struck by the musical impact of the joyous phraseology penetrating their hearts and it goes on and you're taken aback for you judge the people the word judge here was used not to describe a judicial courtroom, but rather a royal reign. It describes the royal throne, not the judicial court. So now we've got a sovereign God here who reigns, and he judges the people. He, he guides the people with righteousness, with equity, guides the nations upon the earth like The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he guides you and he directs you. And he makes things happen in ways that you cannot even begin to comprehend, which was the case for Cyrus. Cyrus. It's November 1953. Just a few months after leaving the presidency of the United States, reading from a biography now, when Harry Truman was brought to the Jewish Theological graduate school in New York to meet a group of Jewish leaders. Accompanying him was his good friend Eddie Jacobson, a comrade from his army days, a former business partner, and Jacobson introduced his friend, the former president, to the assembled theologians with these words, quote, this is the man who helped create the state of Israel, unquote. And Truman Quickly retorted, what do you mean help to create? I am Cyrus. I am Cyrus. Now, a couple years back, we worked through Daniel, the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we saw how Cyrus, a Gentile, was used by God to have the Jews return to the lands of Israel. What was Truman doing at this point? Demonstrating his understanding of the Older Testament and God's sovereign plan, you see, for the Jews. And there would be a rhythm of the Jews blessing the nations and the nations blessing the Jews, and how God raised up Truman to be able to endorse the idea of a Jewish state, which at that time was being opposed by those within the State Department as well as the War Department. But when you begin to read very carefully what was occurring there and some of the statements being made, there was one who knew him well, Moshe Sharet, Israel's foreign secretary, who visited Harry Truman in 1952 and reported that Truman's view was the result of his knowledge and study of Israel's history. From the days of Abraham and rested on the promises made to the Jewish people in the First World War, which must be kept. Because in his estimation, the nations should bless Israel just as Israel was used by God to bless the nations. So with in front of me, Harry Truman's prayer journal. At the time of Harry Truman's baptism, Harry Truman wrote his prayer on a card he carried in his wallet, even in his presidency, for the rest of his life with these words. O almighty and everlasting God, creator, what I might add, Elohim, creator of heaven, earth, and the universe, help me to be, think, to act what is right because it is right. Make me truthful, honest, and honorable in all things. Make me intellectually honest for the sake of right and honor and without thought of reward to me. Give me the ability to be charitable, forgiving, and patient with fellow men. Help me to understand their motives and their shortcomings, even as thou understandest me." Ponder how God sovereignly positions people to bring the blessing and fulfill his purposes, historically as well as spiritually and how he could even use a Pontius Pilate and Herod to bring about Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. Is it any wonder in verse 5 then that the psalmist offers an invitation now? He extends it to Americans, so to speak, beyond Jewish quarters. Let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. And now you see that the source of the blessing is God. God bless. But you see that the scope of the blessing goes beyond the borders of Israel to all of the nations. But Israel was to be the channel of the blessing. And Truman understood that as Israel was a blessing to the nations, the nations were to be a blessing to Israel. You pull all that together. And now you've worked not only through the source of the blessing in verses 1, 2, and 3, right? As furthermore, the scope of the blessing in verses 4 and 5. But you finally reach the climax, the supply of the blessing in verses 6 and 7. And I don't want you to miss this. In verse 6, in verse 6, it says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. And you say, well, Gary, what's so significant about that? The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Well, the opposite of the blessing is the curse. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, And to Adam he, Elohim, said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Let me say it again cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life that is your ecological environmental challenge to this very moment but what God is saying here is that through Jesus Christ I counter the curse with the blessing he took the curse on the cross so that we might experience the blessing of salvation And someday, even though currently, as Romans 8 would remind us, the earth is groaning in anticipation of our Lord's return, the groan of today will lead to the glory of tomorrow based upon the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you see the richness of the curse bless tension getting worked out past, present, future, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, there's your source. God, our God, shall bless us. God bless America. The Congress would sing the day after such a tragedy. So he reiterates in verse 7, using what's known as inclusio in the Hebrew, because he began with the blessing in verse 1. He ends with the blessing in verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And now you've got it. The source utilizing his channel. The scope outward to the blessings who utilizing the Harry Truman type effect or the William Jennings type effect, bring it back, and then the supply of the blessing where the curse is countered. The blessing is found at the cross. And you see people who would other be politically opposed, finding common ground in the longing for what is within the heart, true blessing. It took a Jew to write it, but he is the channel. It's God who's the source. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. Think Moses upon Mount Sinai. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans, white with foam. God bless America, my home. Sweet home. God bless America. My home. Sweet home. God through Israel, to even America, back through Israel, all things about God. To God alone be the glory. Let's stand together. There is a complexity there, Father, to simply sing God bless America. We have to understand the potency of that gift and the Hebrew connotations of the blessing and how this psalm begins and ends with this and how even in the sense of the fallenness in the opening chapters of Genesis, Elohim becomes known as Yahweh Elohim and the creator god becomes also known as the personal god and we can know god through him sending the second member of the trinity to die in our place for our sins taking the curse that we might experience the blessing of eternal life in jesus alone if there's anyone here who's come in the second service who might be secularly minded or religiously curious but at this point has not put faith and trust in Jesus. May they look at the condition not only of this world, but the condition of their heart. Speak to that heart and remind them that they have deep within that heart the longing for true blessing. May they now put faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ, as Savior and as Lord. To you alone. To you alone receives the praise and the glory.